Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. What should you do when markets are at an all-time high? Should you invest now or should you wait for a crash? Welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Later in the show, we're going to take a deep dive into the list of glorious 10. If you've been a faithful listener of this show, you know what I'm talking about. 10 stocks that we learned recently. Um, we discussed with Platform Sachs. So back in 2023, five of their top traded stocks amongst the trading platforms, Singapore clients were NVIDIA, Tesla, Apple, Palantir and Amazon. But we also discovered in the show that there are 10 companies out there, all worth more than $50 billion in terms of market cap, all substantial companies in the world that are and offer and invest more diversity than the Magnificent Seven. They come from seven different countries eight different industries, and they're all performing extremely well. Now, on today's show, we're going to take a look at a couple of those stocks and how a real investor breaks it all down. Swapnil Mishra is that investor. He's founder of WealthZen, an adjunct mentor at Singapore Management University and author of a terrific book. Uh, the title, Swapnil. <laughs> Investing for the clueless, reckless, and overly cautious. There you go. Welcome back to Money and Me, Swapnil. What do we mean when we say a stock market has hit an oil time high? Uh, I mean, it makes a new high because it has never touched that figure before. So, for example, in January 2020, which is just before the news of COVID broke, uh, S&P 500 had hit a high of 33-odd number. So it was a new high because it had never seen that before. Just the way we have seen 5,000. Of course, 5,000 is like a magic number, which is why more attention is being given. But every time it makes a, a hits a level or it gets traded at a price at which it has never been traded before, that's an all-time high and a new high. Okay, help the, the beginner investor out there. They're saying, okay, I hear this all the time. The Nasdaq Composite dropped 0.9%. The S&P dipped 0.6%. What exactly... Uh, is behind these numbers. What are we talking about? Are there less investors joining the, the, the index, buying and selling stocks on the index? Are these stocks uh, losing money and then bringing down the index? What do we mean by up or down? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the index is a very useful tool because and, and it, the, the arrival of the index was because it became difficult to track the you know uh, 20 different stocks or 50 different companies or 500 different companies so the index became a representative and it is essentially at the you know on a on a daily basis it is capturing what is the the weighted value of each and every stock in that index so if you take s&p 500 as an example it takes the top 500 companies and on the basis of the price of those 500 companies it comes out with a number and so for us as investors or as observers of the market it becomes a reflection of those 500 underlying companies now of course, it's an aggregated number, which means it is not diverse. It is not kind of separating one company doing well and the other company not doing well. It is aggregating everything. And we use that number as a benchmark or as an indicator that uh, all these 500 companies, people are buying and selling at prices higher than yesterday or lower than yesterday. Mm -hmm. And the underlying kind of assumption is that if they are buying at higher than yesterday's price, which means there are more buyers who are willing to pay a premium to yesterday's price so that they have they have more kind of optimism in the market so they are buying 
at a higher price. If it is lower, then it shows that there are more sellers and less buyers, so they are ready to sell at a lower price. Ah, that's a great breakdown. So does it necessarily also mean that these companies on these indexes are making money because more investors are willing to pay a higher price today than yesterday for the stock? Absolutely. So uh, in, in the, the, the most uh, simple extension over here is that in the long run, companies that continue to do well will continue to attract the confidence of the buyers and will continue to attract more buyers versus sellers and hence um, in the long run. Now, in the short run, you may have a case where a loss-making company also attracts buyers, which means per se, the company is making a loss, like you have companies like even Amazon who are making a loss for a long time, but people are willing to pay because they believe that at some stage, the company will start making profits and they will get rewarded at that point of time and they are happy to uh, buy the buy that stock, even if it is not necessarily making profits or giving dividends today. Interesting. I was looking at a chart on the S&P 500, and in some years, you can see that it hits all-time highs multiple times. So 2022, it hit an all-time high once, but 2021, the year before that, hit an all-time high 70 times. 2024, I think we've seen five times so far. So the question is, do all-time highs follow more all-time highs? Because people are, uh, the, the sent- sentiment is positive. They believe that, okay, the stock is going to make me more money in the long run, even though I might be losing money now. So do all-time highs follow more all-time highs? So it, I guess, uh, so firstly, it's very difficult to uh, give a guaranteed or, a, or a, you know, in, in some ways, it's, it's always the odds are 50-50 as to anything can happen, right? So tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, market can go up or it can go down. In a similar way, a new high can be created or it is not created. Ultimately, the, the, uh, the, the sum total of that index, like if you take S&P 500, is a, sum, is a summary of the sentiment and the profitability and the growth or the future expectations of the market as a whole. And so the problem is, it is very difficult that on on a on a Monday morning, will the combined sentiment and the value and the perception of the market is going to be positive, which means it continues to uh, buy more and hence create new highs, or will it turn negative? And then, of course, it you know kind of starts coming down, and uh, the price is lower, so it doesn't make a new high. So, given the complexity, I think it is difficult to. Um, you know, oversimplify it and say that it will create a new highs. Uh, uh, I mean, there's, there's event risk that is always there. So you saw that in case of COVID, where even though it created a new high in January, by Feb and March, we were creating actually new lows. Yeah. So, you know, in, in, in the immediate context. So I would say uh, definitely new highs are a sign of uh, optimism and a positive outlook which fuels uh, a rally because it gets more people to come in as well. People who are sitting on the sidelines and thinking, oh my God, this looks really good. Why am I you know, not in the action? And then you kind of you know, join that. So, Neil, are US markets at um, highs now? Can you help us read what's happened? So definitely in terms of valuations, they are, they are stretched because there is extremely high uh, optimism. There is, there is also uh, an element where any negative news is being discounted. So if there is a concern, so even when Fed came and gave some mixed signals on the pause and on whether the rate cut will happen or not, somehow the uh, the stock market has taken it in its stride and said, no, no, I think it will be fine. 
when it comes to earnings of course corporate earnings have been you know overall have been better but still there is a lot of optimism in the market that uh, forget soft landing hard landing there will be no landing everything will be fine and we'll be <laughs> in this perfect <laughs> so so i think the sentiment is extremely positive for sure now does this mean that it's uh, due for a 10% correction or a 15% correction that's very difficult to tell uh, right now um, i mean even we saw the you know even in case of the middle east crisis it has been steadily escalating but actually it has had no impact on the markets now today's headline is that you know some countries are going to put uh, nukes in the space <laughs> i don't know how how that is going to affect people's thinking process around <laughs> geopolitical risk um is it important to monitor the vix index the cboe yeah. volatility index which uh recently after the president's day long weekend spiked 8.2% to 15.41 so that is an index commonly thought of as the fear index gives you a sense of how fearful people can be about markets is that right and yes, is it important absolutely. to monitor that uh, where we're trying to figure out whether or not market all time highs will follow all time highs or not so it's it's not a great predictor hmm. i would i wouldn't call it a predictor because it's it spikes when the uncertainty increases so it didn't for example it didn't spike in december 2019 it huh. spiked in feb and march 2020 but by which time we could see that there is uncertainty and people are nervous about the future and the minute there is there's a feeling that things are not looking so good the the uh, risk perceived risk increases and that is why the the volatility premium increases and and hence the the index you know spikes up so uh, it's not it doesn't necessarily predict but yes it is a good gauge that things are very calm and when they are very calm then uh, you know in, in like if you throw a pebble in a calm lake then obviously there'll be ripples so the calmness is uh, not necessarily a negative sign but it is a sign that something bad can disturb this calmness very fast and if you look at the wicks it can if it's trending low then it may spike because of even small tremors Okay so I'm going to ask a really basic question uh, uh a young investor wants to start investing in a very conservative way and I think it's a great way actually to start young buy an S&P 500 ETF they want to buy it today they want to get on a regular savings plan and then they're looking at markets and they're high so they're thinking is this a good idea to invest in an S&P 500 ETF today or should I wait So, you know i i i did a very quick number exercise it's approximate i mean it's very approximate number but imagine in the last 5 years every february which is now let's say valentines day mm-hmm. you decided to invest 10000 every every year in february right so you started in 2019 and you you know right now you're sitting with five tranches of 10000 invested you have invested 50000 assuming you ignored the high and the low and just bought it on let's say valentines day mm-hmm. Uh, you will be today sitting on a total portfolio value of seventy thousand. So your fifty investment over five years has become seventy. Mm. Now assume in two years, which is especially in twenty nine twenty twenty when there was COVID, where the market crashed, mm-hmm. and then again in in twenty twenty one, where um, sorry in twenty twenty two when again there was a low created in the market, which means you could time and let's say you entered at the lower end of the market so you managed to time it and did not buy at the high but you bought at the low mm. 
your incremental gain is ten thousand dollars. So if you manage to time your entry well in these five years by picking the bottom in COVID and picking the bottom in 2022, your uh, portfolio value still is in the region of about eighty thousand. So your fifty thousand investment is eighty thousand versus if you did nothing and just bought. So the key, the reason I'm putting these numbers is to say that on a fifty thousand dollar investment, to get your timing perfect of entry versus not getting it perfect and just buying is respective of high or low mm. the delta the difference is 10000 okay on a 50000 investment so and that's the question that an investor has to ask that mm. do i want to go through this you know nerve wracking exercise mm. of <laughs> of trying to find the bottom uh, <laughs> or should i just you know systematically invest and and still make my you know Uh, 50,000 grow to 70,000. It's not bad. <laughs> I like that. Thank you, Swapnil, for assuring us today. We can put aside all that worrying, because look at at the difference. Not a significant difference to your pot of gold anyway. Trying to figure out the the lows and then start investing. Just get started. Um, a- another question that people always have when it comes to markets, the the big hypothetical. Um, With all the QE that's gone on in the U.S., printing of money, are stock markets inevitably going to crash? And if I put all my money in the stocks markets, am I going to hurt? Um, do you think that this is sort of, kind of the end of the world kind of uh, scenario? So uh, uh, excessive printing, or uh, or let's say I would I would rephrase that as government slash central bank led crisis. so we've seen companies collapse we've seen banks collapse we've seen countries also go through crisis we saw europe you know we saw greece which was you know on the verge of uh, you know uh, not being able to manage uh, their budgets so we've seen all of these a central bank led which means decisions of excessive money easing excessive printing qe leading to over uh, inflation of asset values and leading to a bubble and then leading to collapse is a risk that we have seen and definitely more and more economists are talking about that risk for sure now not many can talk openly about it because central banks will not want to send a message of end of the world because that's destabilizing so i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't go to the extent of saying that it is uh, it is an it is a high risk i think one of the counter to that is one central bank gives priority to uh, stability which means uh, if 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 it means uh, stabilizing by cutting qe or by taking a few tough decisions i think i think they will step in and do that so i do have that belief that they will do it the second reason why i feel uh, this is something which is not necessarily an element of crash because there is uh, easing because we are also seeing improvement in productivity so the role that technology plays in increasing productivity is also helping in unlocking value and not just a function of more money chasing the same asset. Well said. My friend Swapnu Mishra is joining me today. He's the author of Investing for the Clueless, the Reckless, the Overly Cautious. That's all of us. Um, we've been talking about U.S. markets, but we recently did a show, Swapnil, where we looked beyond the U.S. at this entire investable universe of stocks that investors don't seem to be paying much attention to. I thought it was really interesting. And we talked about 10 stocks that 
gave investors more than 50% average returns per year over the last five years. This uh, in a show with my friends from Saxo. So I wanted to break down some of the companies on that list. You know, instead of the Magnificent Seven, we created, I mean, we had our own 10 magnificent, glorious 10, the glorious 10. <laughs> so among the glorious 10, and these are all uh, companies with more than $50 billion in market cap, so substantial companies around the world. I'd love to find out how you think through these stocks. So let's start with BYD, the EV manufacturer from China, Tesla's biggest headache right now. Um, what makes this stock so attractive? Is it too late to jump in a BYD bandwagon? Well, it's, it's, um, so I would say one, one thing that I always look at is these kind of stocks, which is growth stories um, uh, in, in terms of uh, large cap, but high growth stories. Uh, you have to look at the story underlying that, that growth assumption. So, uh, you know, in terms of what are the kind of sales forecasts, do they have an exclusive advantage? Uh, are, are they able to prevent new entrants from coming and, and uh, uh, you know, eating away market share? Is there any policy measure that might affect them? So those are the kind of risks that you have to see. And once you're able to analyze that, then it's more a function of how much you allocate to these companies. Because I completely agree with the view that you do need to have some allocation to these kind of businesses because they are well positioned to give you uh, significant returns. You're not investing into a BYD to make 10% or 15%. You're investing in BYD for getting multiples. The only thing is how much you put into it rather than uh, betting on each one of them in a large manner because uh, they sometimes their stories don't come out right as well. So in case of BYD, I would say specifically, they have benefited both from increased uh, focus towards uh, you know uh, e-vehicles and the uh, entire government support which is being extended for this. And also Tesla has kind of messed up on a lot of their promises. And so combined effect, I would say BYD is is still a great stock to have in a, a portfolio as a growth stock, uh, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Now, um, for an investor thinking, how do I translate this share buybacks? So recently, BYD faced a stock price slump. 15-month low they hit earlier this month. And they've said they're planning to repurchase more shares. So when a company itself is buying its own shares, um, What's an investor to read from that? That this company has confidence and does not want the share price to tank further? So, I mean, these are things which many of these companies do and they have done in the past as well. Uh, sometimes it is a very simple problem of having too much cash and not being able to deploy it. So, it, it, it's something which, you know, oh. they just use it as a way to, uh, uh, you know, re-correct some of the dilution that they may have done early on and just buy back the shares. It may not be driven by necessarily uh, trying to change the stock price per se. So I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't read that as a negative for sure. I would actually read that as a positive in terms of the cash surplus and the fact that they are uh, they are in a way returning the value to an investor not as dividend but as you know stock price going up because of the buyback. Okay, let's head back to our list of glorious ten stocks. Um, that have done quite well. But remember, just because they did well in the past doesn't mean they're going to continue to do well, right? But Absolutely. stocks that gave investors more than 50% average returns per year over the last five years. That's pretty something. Next one on our list is Shopify. Um, 
Shopify, you know, you can get an account here in Singapore. They're the Canadian multinational e-commerce company, and they're headquartered in Ottawa. Uh, shares were down recently after the company uh, reported sort of mixed guidance for the year ahead. So how would you look at whether or not to include Shopify in your basket in terms of a value stock? So full disclosure, uh, Shopify is in my basket and has been there for a few years. Hmm. Um, and I take no credit for that because <laughs> it's actually <laughs> my, my wife who said you must buy Shopify because she runs her business, you know, the uh, e-commerce business on Shopify and she's a big believer in that. So, um, <laughs> oh, thank you. so I have a very different take on that and I completely... Uh, so in fact, you know, I spoke about productivity earlier. Shopify is a classic example of how they are improving the business, how they are improving the experience for their clients, and how they are improving productivity, where you don't need to hire five people to run your business. You can use Shopify and just one person. So Shopify is directly contributing to the SME's growth. And through that, uh, the company is able to grow and, and, and continue to have the kind of you know, sales that, they, uh, that gives that kind of outperformance. So... I think I think it's a good uh, business. Of course, stock price it did see a big correction in back in 2022, but I think it's a good uh, stock for sure. Thank you, Furzin, for weighing in and helping us out with today's show. All right, now let's look at the next company. And people have been talking about this since it's diabetes drug. Apparently works for weight loss as well. Novo Nordis is a pharmaceutical company from Denmark. Um, it's got production facilities in nine countries and it is, its weight loss drugs are still hard to find in many countries. Um, areas because so many people want to get their hands on it. People have just been flocking to Wegovi, for example, to lose weight. So we're seeing demand strike uh, spike. These drugs have slipped into intermittent shortages. What do you think of Nova Nordisk? So it's the exact opposite of Shopify because Nova, <laughs> Nova Nordisk is something which I had seen last year in, in April, March, I think. So I'd come across an article in, I think, The Economist, which you know put attention onto this talk. And I looked at it, not just because of the topic, which is weight loss. I would also love to get that. You know, 15% <laughs> weight loss through a pill is, is great news. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. Uh, uh, in the first two years, so if you go back uh, last year when I was reading this, market cap had already doubled. Oh. And the growth story had already been established that there is huge market potential. Even the government uh, and the insurance companies are going to be happy with this thing because weight loss, weight has been a contributor to other, you know, issues even Absolutely. even during COVID we saw. Mm. Um, so there was a whole story around that. I just saw two things on caution that, which is the reason why I said pass to the SOC and which was not a smart decision because it has now doubled <laughs> in one year's time. <laughs> so, <laughs> between last year and now it has actually doubled. Um, there were two, two uh, you know, caution elements they had given. One was on safety. So the safety issues around not the proven drug, yet. Yes, not proven yet. Mm. yet. So you know, whether it causes uh, issues with your liver, intestine or, you know, liver yeah. so, so we don't know. And the second was the cost. So cost is a is a challenge right now. I think uh, it costs around a thousand if you want to take it for a month. And so it is. It is not a sustainable solution unless insurance companies and government comes and subsidizes it to say that okay, if people lose weight, then 
my healthcare and and uh, social uh, you know infrastructure cost goes down then it's possible but if you go by what they have uh, the way the market has delivered in terms of uh, the fact that it has doubled in the last one year uh, clearly hedge funds love it uh, and a lot of institutional investors like the stock a lot so do those people who bought Novo Nordisk at 163 Denmark uh, krona DKK, and now it's going at 843.3. Ah. <laughs> okay, um, before we let you go, I've recovered all the stocks. Yeah, this has been so interesting, the stories of the companies and your thoughts on the, you know, how to deconstruct whether or not we should get into these companies. Really fascinating. Is there a song that reflects markets today, Swapnil? Uh, I thought of TV Wonders superstition. <laughs> Why? When you, because when you believe in something that you don't understand, <laughs> that's when you rely on superstition. And right now, you know there'll be there'll be many thoughts that will be going for investors as to you know if you are invested, you're sitting on profits and you're wondering you know should I really be holding on to this or should I just cash out and take some profit? If you've been waiting to enter, <laughs> you're struggling. So. Somewhere, I think, you know, helping, you know, listen to superstition. <laughs> Just listen to superstition and have a have a, have a a Zen moment with us. Swapnil, love it. Um, you might say that that's the heart of nobody really knows how capital markets work anyway. Are we really all believing in something that we don't understand? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you put me in an existential crisis now. But thank you, Swapnil. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sapna Mishra, founder of Adjunct Mentor, Singapore Management University, and author of that great book on investing. You can get it in Kinokunia and all good bookshops here in Singapore as well. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you so much for your company. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.